You are listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at UVic. Uh, welcome to Beyond the Jargon. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur, and joining me in the studio today is Megan Court, who is a student here at UVic. You're doing oh, your PhD or your master's? My master's. Your master's in yes. history. Um, and what are you studying specifically? I'm studying girlhood in 17th century France. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, oh, I have a lot of questions immediately. Um, <laughs> so first of all, uh, how did you wind up studying girlhood in 17th century France? Yeah. Um, well, I started studying medieval history in my undergrad mm-hmm. uh, just because I really loved the prof and uh Medieval history has a lot of imagination, like it's like studying another world. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I applied to study at UVic for my master's, I also applied for a medieval topic. Um, and then the supervisor who wanted to work with me actually worked a few hundred years forward and uh, gave me the opportunity to work in French rather than Latin, which I jumped on right away because um, <laughs> medieval Latin is really difficult. Um, so, yeah, I ended up working on uh, the same topic just 300 years forward, which mm. has been really great. Interesting. And and girlhood is interesting, too. Uh, very specific, but I mean, I feel like that it really has like implications and would resonate with today's world as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, my interest in girlhood started, I think it was in my third year of my undergrad. I took a women's history course. And the first class, I asked, like, what about girls? Are we going to be talking about younger women or mm-hmm. girls? And the uh, lecturer was kind of like, oh, I didn't think of that. No, I guess not. <laughs> Um, and so I just noticed that in history, we don't talk about children. Like, mm-hmm. we often start with adults because those are the people who are writing, right? Um, so the history of childhood is is a fairly new field. It's been uh, researched for about the last 40 years or so. Um, but studying girls specifically is kind of a newer field that's only about 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's really f- interested in how um, people are, are both young and feminine and how that's both like two areas of marginalization, um, like women are marginalized in society, but also young people. So what what is it like being at the intersection of both of those? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and also, I guess, so looking at France, it's really interesting. I guess there's also this element of, uh, I guess, suppose there would be the very rich and the very poor at that time as well. Are you looking at children across the spectrum? Or are you looking at just girls in one, uh, I guess, like demographic? Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm mainly looking at richer girls just because of the nature of the sources. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to study poor people in that time period regardless. So um, looking at, at wealthier families does make my research actually possible because um, I'll find like, um, an elite woman writing a, a memoir or a novel with girl characters. Um, so those are really the only access points to girls' stories. So, yeah, I'm kind of mm. stuck with just the elite girls rather than the poor ones. That's interesting as far as, like, source documents go. So you're looking at sort of memoir material that uh, women have written and sort of reflecting on their childhoods and growing up? Yeah, yeah. So I first assumed that those would be the only sources I would have, just mm-hmm. memoirs. Um, and often they're kind of... Um, like, they've got hindsight, right? Like, the, these women are looking back at their lives and, and thinking about their girlhood in sort of idealized um, lenses. Sometimes the people writing their memoirs want them to appear ideal, um, mm-hmm. just to give that woman maybe credibility in case her name was being slandered for whatever reason, you know, to show that she had a, a, a honorable girlhood 
could be like a, a credit to her. Um, so sometimes those memoirs aren't always reliable. So I was really excited to find uh, family letters as well, uh, where mm. moms were talking about raising their daughters or differences between their sons and daughters. And usually they're just these like really fleeting glimpses of, of the kids. Like they'll be talking about politics, politics, politics. And then at the end, like, oh, and my daughter did this the other day. Mm-hmm. And so it's really like I'm taking those little fragments and trying to piece together a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also use a lot of fairy tales. Um, so I'm looking at girls that were fictional, but they're created in a real woman's mind. So maybe they've got fragments of her daughter's or she's using memories of her own girlhood when she's creating these characters. Mm-hmm. Like there's one woman I study and she was raising five daughters while ri- writing her fairy tales. So it's like, of course, there must be some sort of connection that she's seeing her daughters while writing about girls. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how do you sort of um, tease out, I guess, the like facts from that kind of thing when you're looking at perhaps like the influence that daughters would have on someone writing fairy tales? How, would that, how do you weave that into the rest of your uh, research? Yeah, um, historical facts are really tricky, right? It's hard to tell like what really happened, what's an idea, what um, what's perception, and so the idea of perception is really important. So often I'm just looking at how people thought about girls, um, which I think is really important when you're connecting to like our day, right? When mm-hmm. we're um, connecting to how do people treat girls or talk about girls? And so often really that's all I can see when I'm looking at history is how people thought about girls rather than maybe what their actual experiences were. Mm-hmm. If I could find their actual experiences, <laughs> that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, but that takes more imagination than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and so are there specific themes within looking at girlhood that you're looking for? And uh, maybe you can talk about those. Yeah, definitely. Um So the classic themes kind of come from the educational material from the time. Uh, A lot of the fairy tales focus on girls being virtuous and beautiful, and they always make the right decisions. If they're in some sort of compromising situation, there's one girl who's, like, bathing naked, and this prince sees her, and so her friend's like, just wrap her up in a towel before, like, her virtue can be compromised. So um, there's these really strong themes of of virtue and modesty, which were really common in the educational literature. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that is just, like, this sort of idealized version of girlhood, which isn't that much fun to read about. Um, But there's also um, this theme of sort of the assertive girl that comes out in a lot of stories. Hmm. And um, think of sort of, like, the strong girl characters like Elsa or Rapunzel and Tangled, like these characters that we think are really new, Mm. these girls existed 400 years ago in fairy tales, which I was really excited to find because I kind of assumed that they might be sort of just like standard virtuous princesses. But there's uh, there's cross-dressing princesses, there's princesses who rescue their brothers and dads. Um, So it's really cool to see how uh, women authors are writing girl characters that were really strong, mm-hmm. um, not just sort of the typical. And it was women authors that were writing that as well. That's interesting, too, who are writing the fairy tales for children. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, well, and at this stage, the fairy tales were actually for an adult audience. Mm. Um, they were written, this is at like the very beginning of French fairy tales. So the salon culture in the 17th century, uh, it was it was this society where women hosted like kind of like a book club in their living room. And uh, other men and women would come to discuss politics or literature. um, And these women were writing their own works as well. Hmm. Uh, So they would often write these fairy tales together or to each other. uh, And they were meant to be read amongst these other adults. Um, 
And it was women first who wrote these. Um, Charles Perrault, you might have heard of him. He's a really famous um, fairy tale writer. He's written like um, Puss in Boots and some of like the really popular ones. Uh, he published fairy tales just at the end of the same year that these women first started publishing. Oh, okay. So even though he became more famous, women fairy tale writers actually came first. Hmm. So, and um, and there are these strong female characters in there. That's interesting. So, but they were writing for an adult audience, so it wasn't necessarily to empower young women when they were writing these fairy tales, though. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of something that I'm still trying to figure out, like how I can. Um, like, figure out what it means for the history of girlhood that these girl characters were being written for adults. Um, and they only were written for child children's audience in the 18th century. Hmm. So I'm really going to end up looking more at, um, like, adult perceptions of, of children. And mm-hmm. that's just sort of the nature of the sources. Huh. Um, do you have any overarching sort of idea or understanding of how children were sort of perceived beyond the sort of virtuous girl or maybe, I don't know, the seen and not heard kind of thing? Were there, are there complexities that have come out of your research so far? Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, the sort of the trend in the historiography of childhood is that um, the idea of childhood, like we have it today, of this sort of like fun-loving, carefree um, this stage of life where you can play and explore, that sort of started in the 18th century. That, for a long time, was sort of the uh, stereotype about the history of childhood. And historians have really challenged that, saying that, you know, children were children even before the 18th century. So Hmm. in the medieval period, in the 16th and 17th century, like, kids were fun-loving and playful, and adults saw them that way. And adults uh, understood that, you know, they they needed time to be kids. Um, so I'm really interested in in sort of building on that research and seeing how, yeah, kids weren't like little child factory workers. Like they weren't, you know, just produced in order to, to help the family business. Mm-hmm. Like families loved their kids. The kids enjoyed being children. Um, so, yeah, just kind of trying to challenge some of those stereotypes and recognize some of the continuities between today and the past. Mm-hmm. That, like... Children were children even 400 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, can you give us an idea of some of the snippets that you're finding in the family letters of like ha- what women were saying about their kids? And are you just finding uh, just women are writing about their kids in these letters or were men also mentioning their kids perhaps? For sure. Um, I haven't done too much work on the letters yet. Um, what I have found is some family discussion about conversion because this is right um, near the end of the wars of religion in France. Mm-hmm. So uh, especially a noble family would have to figure out, okay, are we going to be Catholic or Protestant for political reasons? Mm-hmm. So in the letters often, um, and it's men and women writing in this case, um, a mom might be writing, um, how can I help my son's have have a Catholic faith because they're supposed to for their political purposes. Mm. And then, but my daughters can remain Protestant. So re- recognizing that, like, the sons need to convert for political reasons, but the daughters aren't as significant politically so that they, they can continue their Protestant um, mm. beliefs. So just, I, I find it interesting seeing kind of the division between the expectations for boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to finding more. I'm going to France this summer to do research. Um, so then mm. I'll be able to read more of the family letters. Mm-hmm. And yeah. are, you, are you reading in, in French? Yeah, in it's, French. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, that'll be interesting. Where about in France are you going? I'm going to go to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Bibliothèque Nationale and uh, the Bibliothèque Port Royal, where I can access some of like, the religious documents and the family documents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really excited about that. 
Yes, to see yeah. the the actual documents themselves, um, the original ones, like original letters and things like that. Yeah, um, to read the the very original letters, like in the handwritten script, I would have to be able to, um, like it's called paleography, reading that, uh, and that's a really difficult skill to gain. And I've decided that it's probably not the best like way to spend my time because a lot of these letters were typed up in the um, 18th century or soon after, so mm-hmm. I'll, I can read sort of the the retyped versions. Um, that were produced very soon after. Right. Yeah. Because that uh, old script is very like yeah. intricate and difficult to decipher. It's so difficult. I bought one book to like try and I was going to work on it with my supervisor and I had to look at it and I was like, oh, <laughs> well, like I've read se- um, early 19th century or early 20th century uh, police court documents, which are also very scripty and people right. are writing fast. So, like, I always tell my students, like, if they write messy on their exams, that's fine. Like, I can read anything Um, because I'm used to reading these historical um, writings. Um, But, yeah, like, French is my second language. And so reading scripty writing in French is really, really difficult. So (laughs) I've decided that using print sources will be good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe in the future, like, if I do my Ph.D. on this, then I would get the skill of paleography as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, has studying girlhood uh, in this time period sort of either changed the way you think about girlhood now or does it make you very aware of the way girls are talked about and how girls see themselves? Totally. Um, definitely mm-hmm. does. Uh, when I saw on Facebook there was that um, Throws Like a Girl campaign going around. Um, I think it was an ad for the Super Bowl. And so they mm-hmm. had asked um, a group of people, they had said, um, okay, like, show me your run, and then, like, like throw like a girl. And so they would, like, make it look weak and pathetic and uh, mm-hmm. would kind of laugh about it. Um, and so then they had a group of girls, and they said, throw like a girl. And they just threw normally, just like their normal powerful throw or, like, their normal run. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to make a point that, like, we have this stereotype in our culture that girls are weak or powerless or naive or uh, not capable And uh, girls themselves don't see it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really made me very aware of how we use the the phrase like a girl. Uh, And a few times I've found that phrase when I'm reading historical sources. And it just makes me so curious. Like, okay, in the 17th century, there's a doctor who's looking at a patient. And he described the patient's behavior like they were having seizures or acting up, acting like a girl. And I was like, what did that mean? People are using Mm. this phrase 400 years ago like... I, it, it's just this phrase that we throw around so much mm-hmm. and I think that it's really interesting to kind of figure out like what's going on there like what do we mean and where did it come from mm-hmm. especially I guess in the context of it meaning something like illness or you know yeah. like a girl sick like a girl weird hmm. yeah huh uh, do you I mean you talk about how often studying historical fact is about idea and perception is it difficult to come to conclusions? Do you ever feel like you have like this gnawing desire for a like, definitive answer <laughs> on things that you're not going to get? Or how does that work for you? Yeah, um, well, I'm... I'm not studying math and science for a reason. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't like that like assured like this is the box and I've put everything in it and figured out how it works. Mm-hmm. Um and most things in the world don't work that way. You can't just like put things in boxes and um so I like the fact that history is constantly being rewritten. People are, you know, looking for different narratives like okay, this is one way of thinking about it, but what about this way? Mm-hmm. Um cuz really all we can do is is use the sources we have as sort of like mileposts and then from there just sort of like imagine what's in between and Mm -hmm. use like the new things we discover to help inform that and it's always like rooted in those those facts or or you know historical context um 
but a lot of things we do have to just imagine and and it's fun to do it collaboratively when i when i read another scholar's work it's like oh okay that's one way to imagine it um so there's always going to be new ways to look at historical people and events Hmm. Uh, did you do your undergrad here at UVic? No, um, I am from up north. Um, mm-hmm. I did my undergrad at the University of Northern BC mm-hmm. in Prince George. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what brought you down here to uh, study at UVic for your master's? Um, I applied at a few different universities, and um, UVic had good funding support, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, grad school is kind of fun because it I can pursue my research and get funding for it. Um, Victoria is also just a beautiful place to live. Um, my husband really liked the idea of moving here, and mm-hmm. I need my support system. So as long as he's on board, then um, that worked for me. It, it was also, um, I like the idea of a smaller university, whereas like University of Toronto is just like a city on its own. And I really enjoyed the small university at UNBC having close relationships with the faculty. So I figured UVic would be like an, a little bit of a step up, mm-hmm. but still like that close community feel. Mm-hmm. And it has been like there's only 24 uh, grad students in my year. So we're able to you know, know each other well. And, and I know my supervisor really well. So it's great to have those really good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and how far along are you now? Are you deep into your research? or Have you just started? I've just started. Right. So I'm only in my first year of, of my master's. Um, so this summer is when I'm really going to get into my research. I've written one paper for a class on the fairy tales stuff. That's why I know that stuff best. And mm-hmm. uh, I might end up focusing most of my research on that because it's kind of what is most interesting since it's really pertinent to today. Like fairy tales are still used today. And so I haven't quite decided how I'm going to narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, um, are there any things that you want to really come out of your uh, research in France this summer? Are there things that you really want to accomplish or are there questions that you really want to ask and hopefully get uh, something, some idea of an answer for? For sure. I uh, practically would like to really improve my French skills mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because I really only have reading skills. I really want to get better spoken French skills so that I can engage in these academic discussions and uh, uh, as far as my research goes specifically, I would love to find the experience of experiences of girlhood. I've like always been really passionate about like finding those experiences, not just talking about ideas, but if I could find like just like a gem of a family letter or like a memoir that just went on about girlhood experiences or something, that would really bring a lot of answers for me if I could just find like yeah, the like best of the best would be like, oh, here's a diary a girl wrote that no one's ever discovered before. But I don't think that's going to happen. Um, right. I'm just like pretty optimistic that like I'll find some sort of like research gem that like no one else has seen, which is probably like pretty naive. But <laughs> I hope that maybe I'll find something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you said that this is a very new field to be studying girlhood in, through history. Mm-hmm. Um, are you do you have colleagues either, you know, at the university or elsewhere in the world that you can talk to? or like draw from their research as well into girlhood? Yeah, I um, don't have any colleagues here that are studying the history of girlhood. And um, maybe when I go to France, I'll be able to network with a few people there who might be studying it. Uh, I know that there's um, one of the other grad students here. His mom is... um, 
she used to be a professor at UVic, I think, and she studied fairy tales. So I'm looking forward to maybe talking to her because mm-hmm. she's studied like the exact same fairy tales at the same time as I have. And she's around here. So that would be really convenient. But yeah, often I feel like I'm sort of a little bit isolated. Um, most of the other grad students here study Canadian history or um, some war history. And uh, there's very few studying early modern French history. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a niche field, I guess, here. <laughs> um, and uh, why? For, what's the appeal for studying sort of French girlhood rather than, um, I don't know, Canadian girlhood or even British? Mm-hmm. I've uh, always been interested in European history since I've studied medieval and uh, just enjoyed the imagination of it. Canadian history, just like I can look around and see Canada, right? It's not as imaginative, and I love traveling. So studying a time period in a place that is so far removed, like it feels like I'm traveling when I'm studying. So I've also, I also chose France because I wanted to study in another language just to work on that skill and... Uh, British girlhood and British history in general is like very thoroughly done. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of their sources are readily available online. They have great, great like filing systems. And uh, the French system is not quite as advanced. And so there hasn't been as much work done. So there's a lot more open space for studying um, girlhood or women's history in France. And uh, I actually hope to someday um, move away from Europe, actually. And uh, I've really been always passionate about African history. But going to small universities, I've never had the chance to really take courses in African history. So Mm -hmm. this far off pipe dream of mine is to eventually study colonial girlhood in in French African colonies. Mm. And so having both English and French then will let me do... Yeah, either French colonies or English colonies in Africa. So Interesting. Yeah. Of the colonized or the colonizers? Both. It'll probably be more, uh, well, it'll probably be more possible to do the colonizers mm-hmm. um, because they're the ones uh, making records that are most readily available. But I've also found some people who work on uh, girlhood in uh, colonial Kenya, and they're doing interviews with, with women who lived in like and went to these colonial schools so it's like another like few hundred leaps forward from what I'm studying now right so yeah it's kind of like way off in the distance but it's something I keep in mind regularly that maybe having these French skills maybe having these like you know working with scarce sources will help me if I want to study African history someday mm-hmm. so. uh, that's interesting too. the uh, the idea that um, this is such a constant interesting theme for you that you can jump uh, hundreds of years around in history to look at this one specific thing um, do you want like a cohesive child <laughs> history of children one day? <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. I would love for like a history of girlhood through the ages. Um, but that's not like very historical, I guess. Like historians are supposed <laughs> to be like very focused on like one space and like context, context and all that stuff. And um, so, <laughs> my supervisor's other student, she said to me when she met me, she's like, oh, I was looking for a Francophile when I was looking for you. And she assumed that I was studying France because I love France. Uh. I was like, no, actually. I, like, I'm studying girlhood. Like, I'm really interested in this idea of girlhood. And really, I'll study it anywhere, anytime. Um, mm-hmm. So it's more been sort of the luck of where, I, where I'm placed and what time in my life. And that's kind of designed what time period I'm studying. Hmm. Um, but I'm happy to be studying girlhood in whatever place. Huh. Do you, um, did you have a very, I guess, like, uh, strong experiences growing up, either like positive or negative with being a girl? Did that (laughs) impact this at all? No, I've thought about this often. Like, why, why am I into this? Um, 
I think that I well, I've always journaled growing up, so I have like a strong sense of like of my own feelings as a girl since I've kept them and I can read back on them. Mm. And I like to imagine that other girls had that same experience. Although I know not all girls are journalers. So, (laughs) um, so it's, it's always been intriguing to me to read other people's journals, even reading women's memoirs. Mm. Um, I think that I was raised with a strong sense of like being assertive, being an assertive girl. And, um, I had three brothers, so I was often the one like in charge of, play and like creating like projects or things that we would do together Mm -hmm. and so I think that I just have like a a very vivid memories of my own girlhood um but I don't know if that's necessarily what structures my research I I um I guess it was just sort of realizing that girls were often forgotten in history that really made me interested in it but I've often tried to find sort of my own like psycho reason for wanting to study this um some uh, deep thing that happened what's gone on in my life but Mm. yeah I don't think there's necessarily like one event that sparked it Mm. just sort of like realizing that girls are often marginalized and uh that yeah that girl are like childhoods in general really shape who we are and so I think studying childhood would give us a more full understanding of, of historical people and events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That very excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's pretty much all the questions I have for you. I want to thank you so much for coming in and joining okay. me and talking about it today. Um, and good luck with your research and in France and, uh, with your research in France. Thank you. Um, when you're close to being done, you can come back in and we'll do another interview and talk about if you found that for sure gem of a document <laughs> yeah then i'll actually have like some more like concrete things to say for now it's been mainly preliminary research mm-hmm. so yeah thank you so much for asking questions and being interested yeah no problem thank you thanks for listening to beyond the jargon if you want to listen again go to our website cfuv.uvic.ca and click on the listen tab